good to be here. I appreciate uh, Greenwood Baptist Church. You're always like family to me, and I certainly appreciate um, the opportunity uh, to be here. One of the things that I do, and, and, and I suppose all of us kind of have this in common, when God lays something on your heart and you, and you, or just something in, that I've been studying for the last several weeks, and it's just one of those things that just come to my mind and it stayed on my mind, so I spent a lot of time in thinking of just the subject of what the Bible has to say about unity. And the Bible, you know, there's two types of unity. There's the unity we have among ourselves that would be kind of like a little you unity. In other words, uh, hopefully we'd be in agreement of the color of the paint on the walls and the kind of lights and the kind of music and uh, the kind of preaching, whether it's loud or whether it's quiet or whether it's expository or whether it's uh, subject matter and uh, maybe the color of the carpet. There should be a certain amount of little you unity because um, it's hard to get along with people that you don't get along with, right? Well, that's not what the... But, and, and that's needed and that is good. It can cause really good fellowship and times together if everybody has that little you unity. But when the Bible talks about unity, it don't use the little you. It uses a big you, a big unity. It refers to the unity of the faith or the unity of the gospel of Christ. It's very specific. It's not just necessarily me getting along with you or you getting along with your neighbors on things. This is more about what your goal is what the aim of your life is, what the aim of the church is, what the goal of Greenwood Baptist Church would be. That's the unity of the faith. That's the unity where you look out there and you say, okay, this is the direction God is going. This is the direction that the Bible says that we're to be going. And I'm going to do what God says. I want to do what the Bible says. Now you're on the same page with God. And that's where your unity comes from. When you get, for my life, I have one goal. I want to be alive, hopefully, every single day to glorify God, to give my life to the purpose that God wants me to give. Therefore, I have unity with Him. I have fellowship with Him. I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God when I'm on His page. The Bible goes on to tell me that when I'm like that, when I'm on His page the way things are supposed to go, I can ask anything in His name and He'll hear me. And that He will even answer my prayers. But before I get there, I've got to be on his page. I've got to be on the level that he's on in the direction he's going. That's the big you unity. It's called the unity of the faith. Now, when the Bible gets ready to teach me something and probably teaches all of it this, he uses a couple of ways of doing this. He uses um, just the commands of the Scripture. Do this, don't do that. Go here, go there, or don't go. Or whatever he does, they're called the commands of the Scripture. We would learn from, that's what pastors preach a lot. They're the commands that Christ has given us. That's the way he teaches us. There's another way he teaches us, and he does it by example. In fact, the Bible tells us Israel is a perfect example. Now, you and I will go back and look at the Old Testament and for a reason. When Jesus wanted to talk about idolatry, for an example, he told the disciples of his day, he said, don't be like some of them were. He said, don't be exactly like them. Don't do this. He said, they live for one purpose. Eat, drink, and rise up to play. Jesus said that was idolatry. Had nothing to do with little statues. It had no uh, different. It had, didn't have anything to do with what we would commonly call idol worship. It was just that attitude. Eat, drink, and rise up to play. Jesus said, don't be like them. He said, that's idolatry. 
And that's an easy trap to fall into. It's an easy trap to fall into going to church on Sunday and then leaving church and then living like we want to live the rest of the week with that idea. We Eat and drink's not wrong because you've got to eat and drink to live. But they were living for one purpose, just to have more fun, just to do the next fun thing. And Jesus said that's idolatry. And he said we learned that from the nation of Israel. Paul took the other side of that. He said what we could learn could be good. He said those things that were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and hope could understand how God worked through the Scripture. He told that to the Roman believers. And so he took the other side of that. We could look through the, some of the Old Testament, some of the experiences of, of the prophets and the people of Israel, and we can learn, we, to learn from them. I found a verse of Scripture, or passages of Scripture, many passages of Scripture, in fact. And if you would like to turn, turn to Psalms 120, and I want to show you something that God dealt with my heart on and showed me, and then I will share this with you. In Psalms 120, um, I'll kind of give a background to these verses of Scripture. Psalms 120 through 134 is called the Psalms of Ascent. Now, if you're familiar with that, then, it, then you already know what I'm about to say. Some may not know. Three times a year, the men of Israel were required to walk up to Jerusalem to go to the temple for a time of worship and fellowship and praise to God. Now, this was not a decision that they made. This was a requirement. If you were one of God's people in the nation of Israel, then you were in obedience. You walked up for the Feast of Tabernacles and Booths. You walked up there for the time of Pentecost. And you walked up there for the time of the harvest. So three times a year, the men of Israel were required by God to walk up to the temple. Now, if you lived up there, it wasn't this big of a deal. But just to kind of give you some scale, that hike was 2,700 feet from sea level to the top of where the mountain was, where the Jerusalem set, where the temple was. So to give you some scale, Monegle Mountain is 2,500 feet high. So if you can go another 200 feet after you reach the top of Monegle Mountain. Now if you live on Monegle and you're walking over to, to the University of the South, that's not that big of a deal. But now if you live in South Pittsburgh, you still got this same command. That three times a year you had to be up there to the temple for this worship and time of praise for God. But what we get out of these verses of Scripture is what it looks like when you've got a group of people in absolute unity. See here, Israel is focused. Israel has one plan, one thought, obedience to the command of God. That's all they wanted to do. Now I want you to look at this verse of Scripture. It goes from one, to, we're not going to look at all of these. It's 15 chapters. We're going to look at the ones that I think you're most familiar with. Listen to what happens. Now think about it. They've left their homes, they've left their jobs, they've left their families, they've left everything behind for strictly one reason, obedience. Obedience to God's command, and this is what they ran into. All of a sudden, God starts working in their life. We'll just start with this one in verse 121. I'll lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out, thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. What did they find? When they were right, 
When Israel was right with God, when they were in obedience, they found the protector, they found the provider, they found a keeper, and they found the preserver, all because of one thing. They had one goal, only the goal of God, obedience to do what he had asked them to do. No other goal. And they found that God was taking care of every single thing. Can I ask you something? Can you think of a safer place to be than in the will of God? Just live your life every day that you're going to do what the Bible says. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find a helper. You're going to find a keeper. You're going to find a provider. You're going to find the one that preserves. Why? Because that's the way he set it up. Israel was an example of that. We see it in these other scriptures. And we don't have to read every one of these. But one of them he says, you can see this. Now think about this. These men are coming from all over the place. They may not all be singing this in sequence one after another, but these are the psalms that they're chanting. That's why it's called that. So they're crying. So one of them singing, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. He doesn't go into a lot of detail on that, only that he knew that he was in the center of God's will. Another man cries out, if anybody builds a house other than the Lord, it will fail. That's what he said. He that buildeth a house other than the Lord, not going to make it. That was something God did. In another passage of Scripture, he talks about the mercies of the Lord. He said, oh, Lord, let your mercy surround me like the mountains surround us. He knew that they needed the mercy of the Lord, surrounding them all the time as they took this journey. That's what you get in obedience. That's what you get in unity. That's what you get when you're walking the way that God wants us to walk. And so he tells them in these verses of Scripture, and then finally you get up to, we'll jump ahead a little bit. Look at verse 126 because he said something that's remarkable. This is the only one of this whole Halil that doesn't, make, that doesn't fit because it was written years later. It was written during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when they came back from their captivity. And he talks about being in the captivity and being released. And he said, all of a sudden we were in bondage. We were in captivity. You know the story, don't you? Where Israel had failed and failed and failed and was disobedience to God till he let Nebuchadnezzar overthrow Jerusalem, destroy their temple, took them into captivity. And now God had brought them back through Ezra and Nehemiah. And he says, now we're filled with laughter and we're filled with song. That's the way it is when we're released from our bondage. You remember that, don't you? The day that you met Jesus. You remember? You remember what that was like when the truth of God come crashing down upon you? And you knew at that moment he not only knew you, you knew that he loved you. All of a sudden, everything changed when the Spirit of God began to deal. And then he pictures this man doing something. He pictures this man coming out of bondage, walking around with a bag of seed, sowing the seed. What is he doing? He doesn't know anything about Jesus yet. He doesn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection. He doesn't know that the field is the world and the seed is the word of God. He's doing something because he knows that the need was for everybody to know this God. Everybody needed to know the God that brought them out of bondage. Everybody needed to know that there was a God that could forgive these sins. And he's going around sowing the seed. And the writer of verse 126, of chapter 126, said, These that goes out weeping, bearing precious seed will, seed, will doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. What does it get? The only person... This isn't just an incentive for witnessing, folks. It is the description of a person who's grateful being released out of bondage. You want everybody to know, don't you? You remember that? How many people did you tell after you got saved? You told everybody. You wanted everybody to know 
that Lord had saved you. And that's what this man's doing. He wants everybody to know that God has brought him out of bondage. He's weeping over the sins. He's weeping over the nation. But he knows somebody's got to sow the seed. And that's the picture that you get here. Then when you get down to look at verse chapter 133, all of a sudden you get this picture of this unity. Now remember, we've got a whole nation doing this. We've got all the men of Israel with one goal, one command, one purpose. Get to the temple. Get to Jesus of that day. Get to the God of the temple for worship and praise. And they come. And then all of a sudden somebody shouts out uh, in these verses, how beautiful it is to, for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that was poured on Aaron's head. It went down his beard. It soaked into his garments. That's the picture of unity. All of a sudden, you see these men that have experienced what it's like to walk with the blinders on. You ever seen a racehorse? You know what? What do they do? They put those blinders on them. Some of them. You know why that they put those blinders on them? So they don't get distracted. So they look straight ahead. So that if that guy on the front row of the stands is eating a carrot, that horse don't take off over there to get the carrot. They don't want, that's what they, this is what unity is. If you want to see what unity is, it's when you get a group of people, one focus, one purpose, one desire, one thought, doing whatever God has commanded them to do. That's unity. And then when this ends in verse 134, you look at this verse of Scripture, something that seems so odd, but it seems so wonderful. It's a beautiful picture. They get to the temple. And there's people working. Apparently it's at night, but they get to the temple. And these men are standing outside of the temple, and they start yelling, You that work in the temple, you that labor day and night, you that are doing the work of the ministry, Lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And they reciprocate. All of a sudden, the priest starts hollering back, May the Lord bless you from Zion. You see, that's what unity looks like. When people are building up each other. When you're building up inside the house of the God. When you're praying for them and you're, you're saying, boy, go get them. When you stand behind your pastors and your elders and your deacons. And then they reciprocate with that same kind of building up. That's what it is. That's what the unity looks like. And forgive me, I'm going to add something here that I think was happening because one of the biggest messages that Israel had was how big the Abrahamic covenant was. This was what they thought about all the time. And remember, in Jesus' day, he said, we're not in bondage to anybody because we're Abraham's seed. But they forgot what that meant to be Abraham's seed. But don't you think at this moment, when they're up there worshiping around the temple, somebody might have said... Do you think this is bigger than just us? Don't you think that this is bigger than just us? He said, do you remember what Father Abraham wrote? Do you remember what God told him? That through him, that is to say his seed, all the nations of the world was going to be blessed? So I think this is, going to, this is bigger. This is bigger than anything that we're used to. This is bigger than just going to church. This is bigger than just my life. Not about us is it and so they would have known that they would have known that had to enter their minds i'd like to tell you that israel was able to continue but you know they didn't don't you in fact they rejected their messiah when he came and jesus offered the kingdom to them over and over and over again and they just couldn't they didn't want to give up their power they didn't want to give up their position they didn't want to give up their prestige 
for a king, for somebody else. And that's what they said. We'll not have this man rule over us. And it may be the most significant passage of Scripture for you and me. Found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43. Jesus looked at him and said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And I'm going to give it to Greenwood Baptist Church. Because that's what he said. I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And I'm going to give it to a people who will bear fruit. You know who that is, don't you? That's us. Starts out with the disciples. It's the disciples of Christ. He's going to start out with the disciples. You know how you have to do to be a disciple is be saved. That's it. Because the word disciple just means a follower. So when you made the profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you asked him to come into your life, you made a promise that you were going to follow him. You became at that moment his disciple. Did the plan change? Did God quit? Did he change, do something different? No. The plan he had for Israel was to be a light to the world so that they could know, so the Philistines could know who Jehovah God was. That Dagon was fake. Jehovah was real. It was there so that the gods of Baal could realize, as Elijah said, if Baal's God, serve Baal. But if God's God, you better serve him. And so he had Israel there, a whole nation of people, to be a light to the world so people could know the truth of God, the true and the living God. And they couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And Jesus took the kingdom away from them, and he gave them to us. Folks, his plan hadn't changed. It hasn't. Not one bit. There's a different team on the field. That's us. But his plan hadn't changed. Do you remember one of the first messages he preached to those that were following him? Was at the beginning of his ministry when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount? You remember the words that he said? You're like a city set on a hill. You're the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. Men do not take a candle and put it under a bushel. They put it on a candlestick that it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify God which is in heaven. It hasn't changed. There might be a different team on the field. It's us. It's the disciples and it's the church of the living God that carries this now. But it hasn't changed. God gave us the kingdom, the blessings of the kingdom, and the responsibility of the kingdom to get the light of Jesus Christ around the world. Isn't that what he did? Listen, what does the Bible tell us in Mark 16? Going to all the world, proclaim the gospel to every living creature. Matthew 11, you've heard it a million times. The Great Commission preached, go into all the world. You know that's a command? Go is a command to the disciples. To go into all the world with the gospel, make disciples out of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. The same God that followed them up the mountain to the, to, in obedience is the same God that watches over us, always with us when we're carrying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there any safer place to be than that, with that focus? Isn't that the focus of God? What does the Bible say about God? He's not willing that any should perish, but all shall come to repentance. Isn't it right for me to wake up tomorrow morning and say, well, God said he's not willing that any should perish, so I guess that means I'm not willing for any to perish, so I'm going out there and find somebody to witness to. And then I start praying, God, give me somebody to share the gospel with. Because if he's not willing that any should perish, I shouldn't be willing that any should perish. 
If Jesus is going around to seek and to save that which is lost, is what he told his disciples. Do you remember that? After the Samaritan woman got saved, they said, aren't you hungry? When the disciples finally got there, he said, have you had anything to eat? He said, I've got meat to eat you know nothing about. And he said, I must be about the Father's business. I must seek and to save that which is lost. Now, if my master and your master is seeking to save that which is lost, doesn't it make sense that we would be seeking to save that which is lost? We can't save them, but we can tell them. That's the call. And it's not just God. What did God raise up this church for? To reach Harrison and Udawal? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he also raised you up to see the whole world and the need of the world. What does the Bible tell us you are? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is one of those places I think about all the time. 2 Corinthians says it this way. You remember the man in Psalms 126? As a response to being freed from the Babylonian captivity, he's sowing seed everywhere. We've got the same picture in 2 Corinthians chapter, let me see, chapter 5. You remember what Paul wrote? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All the old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And God was in the world reconciling the world to himself and has committed to us, you and me, the message of reconciliation. That is, God was in the world reconciling the world to himself and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now let me ask you something. If any president of the United States called you and asked you to be an ambassador, could you think of a greater honor ever bestowed upon a human being? The God of this universe appointed us as his ambassadors. And he said, and it is though this, he said, we are ambassadors for Christ. And it is though God beseeches you through us. We plead in Christ's stead. We beg people. And I, I tell you what, I've got, I just felt this conviction yesterday and the day before. I don't remember the last time I begged somebody to come to Christ. But yet that's what Paul said they were doing. That's what an ambassador does. They want people to come to Christ. We plead in Christ's stead to be reconciled to God. For he made us to be sin for him who knew no sin. That we become the righteousness, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Now think about it. For me, I must do that. I must do that because I need to be on the same page with God. Unity is not us getting along with each other. Unity is when we're on the same goal, the same page, the same ideas, the same thoughts of God. And God's not willing that any should perish. He wants to save the world. So now we've got a thing. We've got a problem. All the other stuff fits in. It's not that other stuff is wrong. Everything that brings peace and unity and fellowship is good. It is a good thing. But singing and worship and praise, that all fits into the picture. But you take a group of people that have that thought and that idea. What did Paul do? Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul was trying to preach in Asia. And he said, I don't know what happened. I was preaching. We were trying to witness in Asia, but the Holy Spirit blocked us. And he said, so we said, okay, tomorrow let's just go to Bithynia. There's people that's lost there. Let's go preach in Bithynia. And again, the Holy Spirit blocked them. And you think about, here's a guy trying to do the work of God, and God won't let him. Why? Because God had another plan. He saw you. He saw me. Because in Acts chapter 16... He opened Macedonia, which now puts the gospel on the European continent. 
And then when it passed through Rome and it passed through Europe, where did it go? It came here. You ever thought about that? The entire events of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Titus and Luke and those that were with him. He never lost sight of you and me. It was always in his mind to get the gospel around the world. So I want to ask you something. What's your goal? What is the goal of Greenwood Baptist Church? What's the goal of Bayside? What's the goal of Silverdale or any other church? What is the goal? Do you know why we're called evangelicals? Not because of the way you vote. It's because we know God told us to evangelize the world. That's where the name comes from. And when you get a group of people with that, what happens is this. All the little you's get smaller and smaller and smaller. If the big you, what unifies the church body as a whole, the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world, when that becomes the focus, the little you gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You ever watch the Olympics? A guy wins a gold medal. Doesn't matter what country. He wins a gold medal. And in America, he might even get his face on a box of Wheaties. And he might get some advertising because he's got the gold medal. But you know what never happens? They never ask that fella, no matter what country, what song would you like to hear? They never ask that, do they? What do they do? They play the anthem of the nation he represents. That is what we are. It's not about us. Shouldn't the believer be saying, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. And you don't have to look very far if you go to the book of Revelations, chapter 5. You want to see the picture of your work? You want to see the picture of that person weeping and sowing seed? What's in Revelations chapter 1 and Revelations chapter 5? The Bible says that there was around the throne room. They started singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and honor and glory. For you have redeemed us out of every nation, tongue, tribe, and people, and have made us unto yourself a nation of kings and priests under our God. Isn't that wonderful? That's what we are in the sight of God. What happens if that stays our focus and that stays our thoughts? See, somebody's going to win those people. Somebody's going to tell them. Somebody's going to get the gospel to them. It might as well be Greenwood, shouldn't it? It might as well be you. Somebody's going to tell them. When we're with them in heaven out of every nation, tongue, tribe, and people, wouldn't you love to be one of them that have them come up to you and say, you're one of them. You're one of them. Your focus was the same as God. You walked in that way. And then when the big you has its place, what unifies us, what brings unity to the church is when we're on the same page with God and the little you's get smaller and smaller till they're almost insignificant. That is what God laid upon my heart. Now here's our plan. Let's say we're all in agreement. Let's say we are unified in this. You know your call as a disciple of Christ is to get the gospel to the world. Well, now you've got to have a plan. Can I tell you the Gideons aren't the only plan? But I can tell you it's a pretty good one. Because you know what you get to do in this service this morning and tonight? You get to buy Bibles for people that will never read one unless somebody puts it in their hands. You understand that? God has given this church and given us. Now, first of all, let me say this. And you know this. There's nothing special about the Gideons. We're servants. We're your servants. We're hands and feet. We take your love and your gifts, your commitment to the Great Commission, and we turn it into Bibles. You pay only for the printing, the purchase, and the shipping of the Scripture. 
And the Gideons cover all other charges. So that's what I'm asking you to do. I can't give you every nation, tongue, tribe, and people. What I can tell you is what God has opened for us is 199 countries and 109 different languages that we can place the Word of God. Some whole Bible, some in New Testaments, according to where God opens that door. That is what the Gideons International does. We give them in elementary schools around the world, actually education from the fifth grade all the way through colleges and universities, all military, all medical personnel, hospitals, nursing facilities, um, really anybody in law enforcement, fire departments, all around the world. You know what's going on starting next week? Columbia. Oh, in fact, I brought the list with me. I want to read this to you. Find my places here. I'm sorry, I said Columbia. Starting February the 17th, 14th through the 24th, Cambodia. March 2nd through the 9th, Mexico. 9th through the 16th, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The Dominican Republic in March 12th, I mean, March 17th. In April, I'm just going to read the names. These are the ones in the month of April. Costa Rica, Poland, Slovakia, Malaysia, Panama, Colombia, El Salvador. Tell me you see any hope for one of those nations outside of the Word of God. They're trapped in a darkness that we can't even understand. And the only answer to darkness is light. And the only light that will work is the light of the gospel. This money's already been taken up or we wouldn't have arranged these distributions. What about the rest of the year? What about after that? Your gifts purchased a scripture that goes in there. So I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to give as if their life depended on, like that was your kids who had never seen a Bible. And I want you to pray because it's more than just praying for the distributions and for the people that are working there. We need you to pray for the churches. We need you to pray for those witnesses that live there all the time. Gideons and auxiliary people that are there all the time. They need your prayers. Those churches need to be strengthened so that they can be the light to their country. And then when they get strong enough, they might reach their neighboring countries. But it always starts with God's people. I just want to say thank you for the work that you've done. God bless you. We serve together.